You'll have to do Polly's work today as well as your own, you knows, love. Mrs Turner, the cook, informed Emma. Can't be helped, Polly's poorly again. Murgatroyd tells me Mrs Wainwright arrives for a visit this afternoon and with Mrs Highcastle still away, we're really short-handed. Light the fire in the morning room, dust the furniture, run the carpet sweeper over the rug and set the table. Then come back and help me with the breakfast. Later, you can clean the dining room, the drawing room and the library and do all the carpets as well. Then you'll have to clean Mrs Fairley's upstairs parlour. And when you finish that, it should be just the right time for you to take her breakfast up. You can make the children's beds before lunch and dust the children's room. This afternoon, you can start on the remainder of the ironing. There's the silver to polish and the best china to wash. That's a heavy load for a little Colleen, I'm thinking, Blackie observed from his seat by the kitchen fire. Aye, tis, lad. Mrs Turner agreed. But Polly's right badly, and there's nought I can do about it, what with company coming and all. Blackie watched Emma disappear up the stairs before he opened the kitchen door and went out into the cold morning air, his mind full of disturbing thoughts about Emma, who was so defenceless in this strange house. Adam Fairley had slept badly yet again. He took out his pocket watch and looked at the time. Almost 7.30. There was a diffident tapping on the library door. It opened slowly and Emma entered. She was carrying a cup of tea on a small silver tray and she hesitated in the doorway. It's your tea, squire, she murmured. She dropped a half curtsy as she spoke and almost spilled the tea. She deposited the tray and hurried back to the door. She dropped a curtsy again and turned to leave. You don't have to curtsy to me, Adam told her. I'm not King Edward, you know. What's your name, girl? Emma Squire. You may go, Emma, and thank you for the tea. Adam crossed the floor to the fireplace, and Emma's face stayed with him. It struck a chord in his memory, but one so hazy he couldn't grasp it. She reminded him of someone, but he was damned if he could remember who it was. There was another knock on the door, the same light tapping as before, but this time it was much firmer. The door opened and Emma was standing there once more. She seemed less hesitant and Adam looked at her intently as the memory became strangely alive again, yet still unformed. Murgatroyd said to tell you the children are waiting for you in the morning room, squire. She retreated quietly without another glance. Adam noticed that she had not had to correct herself from curtsying this time. Emma moved around the circular table in the morning room quietly, gathering the used silver and the plates with as little fuss and noise as possible. She believed the less people noticed your existence, the easier it was to get along without trouble. Unfortunately, Master Gerald always noticed her and took great pleasure in picking on her, just as he had in the hall a few minutes ago. She carried the dishes to the sideboard and began to stack them on the tray, wondering how long she could tolerate living in this house. She wished she could run away and join the Royal Navy with her brother Winston, but she knew that was not possible. She must get money. Yes, that was the answer. She must find a way to make a fortune. The tray was filled to overflowing, and Emma picked it up, almost staggering under its weight. She gritted her teeth and glided out of the room in silence. 
Edwin had begun to fidget in his chair. Eventually he said, May I be excused, Father? I have to keep up with my schoolwork. Adam's glance was approving. Go ahead, old chap. Edwin was growing up to be a nice boy, and Adam was delighted he was beginning to show a little independence of spirit. Perhaps his mother's sickly influence had not been so damaging after all. Adele. He thought of his wife. Fragile, pretty, vain, brittle Adele. Ten years ago, when Adele had retreated gratefully into a shell of vaporish semi-invalidism, she had closed her bedroom door firmly, locking it pointedly against him. His reflective mood was shattered by the sound of horses' hooves as his son Gerald drove rapidly across the stable yard in the trap on his way to the mill. Gerald would inherit the Fairley lands, the hall, the mill, and all the other Fairley holdings, but Edwin would receive nothing of real worth and would have to rely solely on the bounty of Gerald. Not a very pleasant prospect. It was imperative that he make proper provision for his younger son in his will. He did not trust Gerald at all. Isolated within herself, Adele Fairley lived quite separate and apart from the world around her. Her internal life had become her only reality. In spite of her 37 years, there was a girlishness and a purity about her, but it was the purity of a perfectly sculptured marble statue that had been immured for years behind glass, which had never been warmed by love or pained by sorrow or moved to compassion at another's suffering. She went to a display cabinet on the wall of her upstairs sitting room, reached inside and carefully lifted out a decanter. She removed the stopper hastily and with trembling hands lifted the decanter to her pale, cold lips. Only a trickle of liquid touched her tongue and she held the decanter away from her, shaking it impatiently, glaring at it with anger and disbelief. It was empty. Did she drink so much last night? she asked herself. She was aghast to discover she could not remember. Then the rising panic truly took hold of her. Half staggering, she groped her way blindly to a chair and fell into it, her mind blank. She shivered and closed her eyes, as always fleeing reality. About an hour later, Adele Fairley underwent a transfiguration. The agitation that had held her in its grip fell away and her demeanour became composed. The clatter of china in the corridor alerted her that the maid was approaching with her breakfast. Hastily, Adele returned the decanter to the cabinet and swept out of the room with unusual swiftness. She closed the bedroom door quietly and leaned back against it, a satisfied smile on her face. She must select a morning dress, a becoming one, and after breakfast she would attend to her hair and her face. She began to pull out dress after dress, flinging them carelessly on the floor. She was searching for one dress in particular, a dress with special powers. Once she put it on, she would automatically become mistress of this house again. Of that she was quite certain. She knew the dress was there. It must be there. She continued to pull out dresses and other clothes frantically, tossing them onto the floor until the wardrobe was empty. What had she been looking for? She could not remember. She walked to the cheval mirror near the window. She stood in front of it, playing with her hair absently. Her face was blank, 
utterly without emotion, but her eyes blazed with delirium. <laughs>